0: Welcome to 101.9 High FM, It's exactly 10 minutes past 12. Thanks so much for joining us. And just to wish again, everybody who's not well, everybody who's really battling with the current COVID crisis, whether in South Africa or anywhere in the world, just a really speedy recovery. And unfortunately to those who've lost loved ones, who've lost family members, friends, colleagues, our condolences go out to you. It's just the most trying, trying time that we are going through, but all I can encourage people to do is to make sure that they stay safe, they follow the medical and the social guidelines that we've been given, and make sure that you get your vaccine. Um, I'm not a medical expert, but there are plenty of medical experts in High who come on regularly. You would be reckless if you didn't heed their advice, listen to their advice, follow the shows as they unfold, because things change and things do develop what was not important yesterday might be important today and vice versa. So please just look after yourself, look after your family, look after your community and just heed the right medical advice and do what we need to do. But talking about how things, excuse me, were not important yesterday and they're important today. We're gonna be talking about a topic today that I don't think was even relevant about 10 years ago. I'm not quite sure that there were daily users like you and I who were using data needed to store it, needed to have information that we could sort of retrieve at any time and are working remotely on systems that didn't even exist maybe even five years ago. And if you look at the company that we're going to be talking to, which is Eaton, which started in two centuries ago now, really started as a mechanical company. And today they deal with so much more simply because that's where engineering has gone to. And that's how it's revolutionized and that's what really makes it so dynamic and so exciting. So without further ado, Yako Deploy, who's a product manager at Eaton South Africa, welcome to Khai FM.
1: Thanks, Avi. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Great, a pleasure. Yako, looking at you, I take it you're working from home.
1: Yeah, correct. Um, because we're a global company, we were actually working remotely prior to the lockdown that happened uh, last year. So we were a little bit proactive and we started working earlier remotely and still working remotely today.
0: Look, let's maybe talk about that for a moment. I know it's not on the press release and I know well it's not what we should be talking about, but I'm just fascinated. I've just seen it in my own practice. I've seen it in companies around the world. Why did you guys decide to start working remotely prior to being being forced to do it by a, a medical pandemic? What was your logic? What was your motivation?
1: Uh, because we are international company, I think in Europe and the U.S., it's quite known that certain divisions and companies or certain um, employees can work and operate from remotely. And saying that uh, when uh, the pandemic was already uh, sort of taking trend or hold in Europe and the U.S., uh, not yet in South Africa, you know, we already had policies to say, listen, keep safe, work from home if you can, and uh, we shifted a lot of our uh, our admin people to start working remotely. So our own facilities, we have a standard sales product division, and then we have manufacturing capabilities. And we moved the guys that can work remotely to remote to make sure that we comply to social distancing and so forth for actually the guys that needed to be um, um, at the at the manufacturing site.
0: Um, and when you moved personally, did you find that there was a drop in efficiency? Did you find it took your time to get used to it? And where do you find yourself now compared to the old traditional way of getting in your car and driving to the office?
1: I mean, I think, uh, you know, when I speak to the team and that one of the first things that we notice is, you know, everybody's spending less time in traffic. Meaning that you sort of way earlier in front of your PC and you way later away from your PC. And it's bad to find a balance. So that's one of the things that sort of standing out is just less time stucking in traffic. Obviously the, the quickest thing that we needed to come to terms was was all the different technology, whether it was team meetings, Zoom and all these other technologies. And we started shifting then our face-to-face meetings uh, more to, a, let's say, onto a digital platform like we're having now. And and that was something to get used to.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely is. I'm, I, I've just done a, a, a two-week trip overseas, actually back to South Africa, and I found the inefficiencies of having to be at places and having to travel and having to factor all those things in was just tremendously, tremendously stressful. Um, I found myself being far less efficient than I would be working remotely. But having said that, there are certain things that one needs to do face-to-face, and that's just the cost of doing business like that, is that that efficiency of just sitting at your desk with a laptop and a a screen and having everything at your fingertips. Sometimes you're just going to put both hands on the steering wheel and look through the windshield and... Say so I'm not doing anything until I get to the client.
1: Correct, and and that's the balance that you need to to strike between technology and then face
0: face to face. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, so let's get back on back on track. We're talking about data centers, energy, how data centers use energy. Actually, what came to mind um, first is that I don't know if you remember many years ago when the power crisis first hit South Africa the first industries that were asked to please throttle back their power usage were the, were the iron smelters, were the smelters in Boxburg, Germiston, Kent, and that part of the world, because they were massive users of electricity. And I, I just thought when I started reading this that all of a sudden, those were the drivers of the industry a century, two centuries ago. They're still a very important part of the industry today. But a data center didn't even exist, I don't know, 40 years ago, whatever it is. And now not only does it exist, when it started, it was just a cute idea of having a place where everything was safe and fireproof and and controlled temperature. But now all of a sudden, there's such a demand for that, that they have become massive consumers of, of, of power. I've, I've, I've understood the way the shift has moved.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's correct. I mean, if you just take yourself personally, how did you consume, uh, data in the, in the late nineties versus how are you consuming, um, uh, data to, uh, today? I mean, a couple of years ago, if you, like you say, you went on holiday or trip, you took your little digital camera, one megapixel camera, you took a couple of photos and you stored it somewhere. Nowadays, if you look at the, the computing power within a cell phone and, 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 and the type of high-res images that can be taken and, and today's you, they take a thousand pictures of the same thing. And in the end of the day, those, that information or data needs to be stored somewhere and, and it sits in the cloud. And this is why you're now seeing this rampant demand. Um, for data centers because ultimately all those data that we are consuming needs to be stored and hosted somewhere. And that has given the rise of of data centers and, and all these big co-locations. And I See, think...
0: Yeah, so we, we need to run to the shops. But just before we go there, one thing I've noticed, especially traveling through airports, that if you would ban the taking of selfies, we would save so much data storage space that it would be incredible the amount of people standing there staring into their cameras, taking hundreds of shots of themselves sitting in the same chair is beyond my understanding. But anyway, that's me. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back to Yako Deploy, who's a project manager at Eaton, South Africa. This is RV on Business. Yako, welcome back to High FM 101.9. High FM, just to let you know, we're talking about power cons- consumption in data centers, and We really spent the first 10 minutes literally saying that data centers are a major storage area of of data. They need to, they are physical places ultimately because they store hardware and that hardware needs to be cooled. Yoko, take us to the engineering complexities of keeping those centers climate controlled.
1: Okay, so, so typically if you look at a data center, what is it? It's a big roof, so they, um, a big building, and then inside you have all the computing power. And what a data center needs to provide is the power to all those equipment, and then obviously the cooling towards it, and then the let's say the connectivity or the internet access um, to those devices. Um, and that is typically what a data center is for. So they are consuming a lot of energy and, and this is where data centers and big businesses like that can come forward when they consume a lot of energy and they are growing at a rapid rate instead of becoming a sort of a problem to the utility providers. These guys now need to turn and look at alternative um, energy sources to get their overall consumption down. So there's a couple of new technologies, and this is where Eaton is coming in. We are a power company. Uh, we specialize in efficient solutions. And this is where we then start assisting data centers uh, within their power um, consumption uh, facilities. So whether it's from efficient UPSs powering all these equipment to the actual monitoring of all the power consumption within a data center. And when you start looking at data center, they do a lot of measurements in and around. So they need to know what, what their cooling needs is at the moment in the different spaces within the data center, what the actual power consumption need is. And by doing that, they can then start um, monitoring um, their own power consumption and cooling need um, and then by knowing when, when and where your demand is, they can either then know, listen, we need to have additional power now because we're in high peak season. Um, or they need to know, listen, we need to cool a, the data center in a specific area and all that control now start making those data centers running as efficient. As possible the more efficient the data center is the less power it consumes
0: there's actually two sides to it. the one is the actual equipment that's being used to make it as efficient as low energy and as uh, running as cool as possible so that it pulls on the other side as little power as possible coming in to the center so that the two work in sync and with the second one the power coming in that's also about looking at alternative and other energy sources. And um, could know, just give, give me an idea, uh, maybe it's difficult to quantify, but if you take an average house, an average family with two or three children in a swimming pool and, you know, just living normally, which is not normal anymore, but, you know, the way we live and people live in South Africa being careful with electricity, how much power does a data center, an average data center, if, if such a thing, compare when it comes to usage of
1: electricity? So data centers, depending on the size and the scale, but these guys are using a megawatt worth of power. So they are extremely large, and they do consume a lot of power in it. So compared to the house, I mean, you might consume a 1,000 kilowatt um, during a month's period. These guys are consuming megawatts um, uh, per hour. So, you know, data centers, they are... Today, they're around 3% of the energy consumption um, worldwide. And within the next couple of years, they will probably be about 15 to 20% of all energy consumption needs. So definitely, oh, there's a big play. With just, it. Just,
0: just hold on, say that again. Currently, 3% in how many years time?
1: So probably in the next 20, 20 years or so forth, they will consume anything from 15 to 20% of uh, electricity use. That is the demand in terms of, of their growth. So it this is, is very, phenomenal. so this is very important where they now need to try and, and look at a alternative, um, power bringing it into their data center environment. So traditionally today they just consume from, um, from the utility provider. But the, the longer we're going to go, they need to sort of start off offset and balancing their own need. And this is where they're going to turn out to um, renewable energy. So typically, Africa... Uh, it's the best place to to make use of the sun. So for us, solar or PV power is very important, and this is where Eton comes in. So as you know, the sun only shines maybe for a couple of hours in the day, and in terms of harvesting sun power, you might have an a eight-hour window uh, of of of. Um, um, harvesting sun power. But in a normal day, you know, we have 24 hours. So this is where it now has become critical. So while we can, we harvest the power, and then we take that power and we consume it. And the additional power we have, we need to store. And this is where we start playing a critical role in there with certain um, technologies available um, like um, lithium-ion batteries and so forth. So we take the power, the excess power, and we store it. And then we, with our control system, we can then decide when do we use those stored power. Do we use it when we in peak tariff? So meaning that we don't want to consume peak tariff rates. Uh, we rather consume the stored energy. That is the one option to go. Or we have now the luxury if the grid is under pressure during peak demand, we can then have the, the responsibility to say, but as a company, we reduce our own load. Uh, by using our stored energy. And this is where the concept of microgrid systems is going to become. So you're going to have this big energy hub. So you have all your alternative uh, um, sources in it, whether it's gas, wind, or, or solar. Then you're going to start storing that, that power and ultimately you're going to decide when when you're going to use that power. So either consume it yourself or you can backfeed it into the grid and try and support your utility power when they're under pressure. So, and if you look at a data centers today, they have a lot of redundancy and they have a lot of capacity because they're running an A and a B feed in there and everything is redundant behind it and they have a lot of battery behind it. So if... If there's a real need, we can call on to data center and say, listen, all the stored energy that you're having, the grid is under pressure. Just give us 10 15% of that power back, even if it's just for a minute or two, just to support the grid during that period. And if you think of how many UPSs are in the background out there and all of them um, – going forward with our new technology would have the capability of then either store the energy and consume itself or store the energy and push it back to the grid so it all depends on what you want to do and then going forward this is where the artificial intelligence is now going to come in where you're going to have these controllers looking at what power can you get from the grid? What power can you get from your renewable sources, whether it's wind or PV? What is your own demand? And how much power can you store? And then the next level is on the store power. When do we consume it and how do we consume it? And you're going to have these artificial controllers looking at all your need. What is my current power consumption? What do I have stored and what is the best situation for you now t- and which power to consume and when to well,
0: consume? Yaka, what I wanted to ask was a little bit about the disruption in power and how data centers deal with that. But on that note that you just mentioned now, do you think we'll get to the point of the artificial intelligence where organizations like data centers or even, you know, just a normal residential um, townhouse block that has a set of, um, solar panels storing energy that a municipality would be able to turn around and say you know complex a you've got excess power of whatever it is we need you to feed 15 percent of that back into the grid because the grid's under pressure and they can automatically do that so just like in the old days where they could control your geyser usage do you think we're going to get to the point where where municipalities will be able to augment their power needs by harvesting from individuals on
1: an ad hoc basis. Yeah, correct. And and typically, if you look at our energy-aware products and our ex-storage products, we already at that level. So especially in Europe and so forth, we already have a couple of data center sites that has agreements with the utility provider. If they're under pressure, immediately the system takes the stored power and, and start pushing it back. So they either push the stored power back into the grid or they, they're low, as a load self disconnect from the grid. And start using their own store power. So that technology is is, is already existing in, in the UPS systems, and even from a from a home home owner's point, I mean, you have a lot of hybrid inverters, um, our range, our edge storage, you put in. You store the power during the day and you consume it when you want. And the technology within that is um, what we call frequency support. So it can be automated. I put my system on that. And as soon as my device, because it's always monitoring the power. So as soon as it sees the voltage going down or the frequency fluctuate, it knows, listen, the grid is battling. It's not at 50 hertz where it needs to be. It's now maybe at 49.9. And then this machine can immediately say, I'm going in a discharge mode. And you can set the power, the amount of power. Listen, only 10% of my power, please push back to the grid to help support the uh, the grid. And if you have multiple devices all over the country with this technology in, as soon as we automatically notice the grid is under, under pressure, we can push back and support the grid. And um, if the re- regulation and everything is in place, depending on your size, uh, you have companies that are earning revenue of supporting the grid so what they're doing is during the low tariff of you have agreement with the grid during a low tariff period you take power and you store it or you use the sun power and store it and then at a later period when the grid is under pressure you take that store energy and you resell it back to them so we have a couple of test sites data center test sites that's already working like this and Locally, in our own Wadeville uh, facility, our Ethan facilities in Wadeville, we have a microgrid system, and we store around 200 kilowatt-hour worth of power. Um, so during the day, we um, use sun power to power bulk of our load, and we store energy, and during high tariff rates, we are pulling that power and then feeding into our own grid. And this is where microgrid systems are going to become important. So you have multiple sources. You have a generator, you can have gas, obviously your utility provider, and then PV. And this is where artificial intelligence is going to come in because it needs to manage all these different sources and then look at the physical load. So even if you look at our own facility, the amount of power we consumed a year ago is probably less than we're consuming today because we have a lot of people working offsite and that is where you need that intelligence now to, to start processing and managing it. So just to give you an idea when it comes to the artificial intelligence, Ethan, our own Wakeville facility, we share our data with two universities and we we get these guys to work and develop the, the best algorithms and scenarios possible. Uh, and then we make changes in, in, in the firmware or in our controller, upload it back onto our systems, and then we monitor it for quite a while um, and, and see to get our own facility as efficient as possible, and then we develop also the artificial intelligence with these companies.
0: So that's really all about collaboration because it's one thing to build a facility and one thing to get it up and running. But if you're not monitoring the data and understanding and analyzing it, then it's of very little value going forward. If you can analyze that data correctly and monetize it and work out how to tweak a system in order to create even greater efficiencies, that's really the ultimate goal of doing an exercise like this so that it benefits everyone. But Gakko, just before we run to the next break, let us go back a few years. When South Africa started with its energy crisis and we, we had load shedding for the first time, um, how many companies that you were involved with were really caught guard of to the point that they picked up the phone or they came running into your offices and sent back? If we don't get something alternative up and running, we're actually going to have to shut our doors. Um, were you able to help a lot of companies like that?
1: Yeah, correct. I think, I think when was our first rollout in 2008, somewhere there. I think a lot of companies um, sort of come to the realization that you need, uh, first of all, backup power to drive you through, through these type of load sharing periods, whether it was two hours or four hours. I think that a lot of companies sort of realized that. What they also started realizing in the companies that do have backup system, that you need to make sure that your storage, meaning your battery side of things, are well serviced and maintained and make sure your batteries are good to ride right through this period. Um, so, yeah, we are out thought of a lot of solutions. Uh, we have to say even with COVID last year, We quickly had to bring a lot of products because we had now set up from 2008 till now. We set up a lot of companies so that they can, um, power their businesses. And all of a sudden, so we had this big shift from shifting from your office to your home. So last year we did sell a lot of solutions just to set, set up people at home so that you can drive through a four hour power so especially with fiber you just power your little fiber router your pc your desktop a light or two and off you go you can ride through two four hour periods quite easily with 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 a backup system.
0: because what a lot of people are asking on the sms line and um, Jerry asks here uh, do you believe that data centers will be totally independent and off the grid in the coming future? I, f- I think we're heading towards that. That is ultimately
1: the goal. Um, I think a lot of big international companies do have a mandate to reduce their carbon footprint. And data centers definitely is a big player within that. And I think that will be the company's responsibility to try and drive those um Power consumption and inefficiency right down to zero and yes, with available technology in terms of renewable energy out there, alternative power um, is definitely going to be on, on the rise. And as technology moved and the storage side of things, I just look at our own storage um, facility locally. We have 200 kilowatt worth of hour. If we have to redo it today, and I'm talking, this is four years later, if we have to redo it a day, we will probably save about 40 to 50% in terms of the footprint. That is just how the technology and lithium iron has improved over the couple of years. And the big drivers of that is all the electrical vehicles. So they are driving the lithium ion, the storage side of things, Uh, mobile devices as well. They're also driving um, lithium ion technology right down. And then this is where you say where companies come and we collaborate and we collaborate with everything. And then we do, um, we do take it in back into our own businesses and uh we try to set up our footprint as as low as possible.
0: Yako, yeah, cool. we need to take an ad break and we're running out of time, but now I've got so many questions that have come through. We've obviously hit a, a very interesting point over here. Let's quickly run to an ad break. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on business. Yako, we literally running out of time very, very quickly very simply, what people are trying to get at over here is, is it possible that ESCOM will be a thing of the past in 20 years' time? All the shenanigans, all the nonsense, all the corruption is that you and I will be producing enough power for each other and for our communities.
1: Yes, so the technology today is already available there for you as a homeowner or business to to sort of produce bulk of your power consumption. But I have to say that I think it's still going to take a quite a long time before we can actually move completely off the grid. Um, but at this stage, we're definitely still grid-tight. We need the grid. But what you might need to see in the future that where you may be um, 100% reliable on the grid, uh, you can now be maybe 90%, 80% uh, reliable on, on the grid. And that is where where we're going to go. So already today, you see a lot of homeowners as you drive around. You see a lot of um, solar systems on on the roof or panels. So already those guys I have anything from 50 to 90% has removed themselves off the grid already, but they still dependent slightly on the grid.
0: Yeah, I'd love to keep speaking to you. There's a lot of questions we didn't answer. A lot of people are asking about the costs, costs coming down whether to invest now or to wait. But we are out of time. Jaco, thank you so much for your time.
1: Uh, you're welcome. I'll be for having great. me that on. That
0: was Jaco Deploy, who is a manager at the engineering company um, called Eaton. Please go have a look at the website, a really great website, a great Africa player, a great global player, and some a company that adds a lot of value. Yako, be well, be safe. Great, thanks for pushing the buttons. We'll speak to you next week.